This is Marcel. And this is Isabel, and you are now listening to the Top Rank Podcast. For any new listeners out there, our podcast is an exploratory research platform centered on people of diverse backgrounds who are driving and shaping the world around them. Today, we're excited to be speaking to artist, writer, organizer, and friend, the inimitable Eileen Itzelmena. Raised in the Dominican Republic and the South Bronx, Eileen's interdisciplinary practice as a visual artist synthesizes abstract expressionism, surrealism, and the spiritual frameworks of the African diaspora. She is co-director and creative collaborator for Honey and Smoke, a global artist community and platform focused on creating space for artists to mediate on important themes of our day. And it does this through theme sessions and seasons and interactive digital content. She is also a principal member of Zeal, a Black artist cooperative, creative agency, and studio. Wow. Incredibly busy, busy, well-rounded, multidisciplinary person. Thank you so much for making the time for us to chat today, Eileen. Thank you for really looking forward to this. Yeah, I'm excited to talk to you guys. I mean, Isabel, that was a really um, nice overview, uh, but I think that we want to get deeper here and kind of talk a bit about your practice as an artist like from the I I like thinking about like some of the er, like earliest memories but maybe like when did you first remember becoming interested in in art like when did that become when did this become a meaningful like practice for you I think as a kid there's different stages um we all are artists as children um because we're just creative balls of energy um and I noticed that when I was younger, um, I was just, you know, doing it like kids do it. Like we're drawing, we're playing, et cetera. And my mom was an architect in the Dominican Republic. So I would also like just do art to pass the time as she was doing her plans, her um, blueprints. So I noticed in the beginning, it was more so like, it was a mundane activity. It was just as common as eating or showering. I'm a kid, it's like play. Play and pleasure is is part of everyday kid's life. Mm-hmm. So I noticed that it was like more of a, this is what I do every day. Then when my mom passed away, when I was um, nine, I started using art as like a coping mechanism. I, I saw as like, I saw it as like, this is what I do to feel feelings. I think at the time, I didn't go to therapy when she passed when I was a kid. So I just had like, personal rituals that I would do for myself to kind of process. And I didn't realize I was doing that, but I, now looking back at it, making artwork definitely was that. Mm -hmm. And then when I got to college and I made it like, oh, I'm going to study this on a deeper level. It became a, a way to connect with community and other people. It wasn't like insular or by myself. So I think I had like three phases of realizing I was an artist. One was like, this is a tool that's everyday practice is a mundane activity. Then the other one's like, you can use this to heal and um, express and feel your feelings. And then now it's like, oh, you can use this to communicate. And it says more about the larger community that you're a part of in the world than just like you and your own emotions. I'm super curious. I mean, I grew up similarly too, in terms of just art being, my mom is an artist and as, as well, I mean, I, I'm curious to hear more about the architecture uh, influence of your work as well, but I can totally relate to just being immersed in, in creative practice as just like a way to pass the time, but also um, developing a kind of a deeper, more like therapeutic, um, yeah, and social, social connection to just um, creating. Um, I, I wanted to follow up on this. I wanted to bookmark this whole idea of like you being kind of immersed in this art architecture through your mom. Like how do you, what were the, some of the memories you have associated with, with um, her practice as an architect? And do you think that's influenced or shaped your approach to your work at all or how, or has it not? I think it's definitely made me, let me just backtrack. So when I was younger, I was so little when she's an architect that I just 
first memories was like I saw her have a dedicated time and space and like her architecture table to start creating these blueprints and making these homes. She was a residential architect. So she was designing homes in the in DR. And then when she passed, I noticed that when I moved back to the Dominican Republic um, for like a year or two, my grandpa kept reminding us of her through like the work that she did. So the school that I went to in DR, the elementary school, was on the street that like if you went down like one or two miles, it was like all these big like mansions. And there were a few on that street that my mom designed. So then I got to like see, I, I got to see her process of like conceptualizing the idea and then like the finish um, of like, this is what it looks like to realize this. Um, and then I saw that when I think about my mom or when I include her in my work or anybody in my family who has passed and the ancestor, I tend to pull from their life's work. I don't, when I want to, let's say, bring my mom into a painting, I don't have to paint a portrait of her. I'll like make the conceptual decision to say, oh, I want to mount these paintings on cinder block because she, it was part of the building material that was used to make the houses that she designed. Or like when I think about my great grandmother, she was a seamstress. So if I'm making work that involves sewing, that's me, it's like a portrait of her. I, I kind of think more about their life's work as opposed to their the trauma that it caused me or the effects I have in it or like memories. It, it's more like what creative thing were they doing that I can do now too? Mm. And then through the act of doing what they were doing, I feel more connected. Um, yeah, and then like the, the fact that she's an architect, interesting because she was an architect because in Honey and Smoke, we're in this in the season home like that's the theme and home as like a concept and just like materials etc everything that can come out of that theme we've been thinking about a lot and talking to artists about it and I'm seeing how I'm conceptually building home in my own life but also this year when the season started my siblings went to DR and pulled up at one of the houses that my mom made and like sent me a video of it and it was like so aligned because the house is like yellow and white, which are like cutting and smoke colors. And I'm like, oh, wow, this is like full circle. Everything's happening. And my mom also had a social practice with her best friend when we were younger in DR and they got a house and they had a community center for kids. And I'm seeing how now years later, me and Riva are having our own social practice and we're holding space for community through Honey and Smoke. So these things kind of, I'm seeing how like I'm connecting to her through doing similar things she did. Um, yeah I don't know that I really love that. yeah it definitely makes sense but I really love that as well because I think like you know when we're children it's difficult to perceive of our parents as people outside of just being our parent but mm -hmm. connecting with their actual work and like you know how they chose to spend their life outside of reproducing which is so much of someone's identity mm -hmm. I think is really cool that that you can relate in that way and like a lot of people it takes them their whole life to get to to like actually see their parents in that light anyway so mm -hmm. I like that a lot but um we also wanted to talk to you about um your I mean it sounds like you were moving a bit as a child so you were living in DR and then I remember that you've told me and I've read before that you moved uh, back to the Bronx when you were 11 Mm -hmm. And this was actually a very meaningful detail for me because I moved a lot as a kid and also went through a major move at age 11. So I can relate to how kind of like tender and transitional of an age that is to be kind of shuffled about for, for lack of a better way to explain it, especially in, in your case to, you know, a new country, a new city and, and undoubtedly like a lot of cultural differences. So yeah. So what are, are some of the ways that you feel like that move impacted you and, and that New York has like impacted your, your creativity and your worldview? I mean, this is a really big question, but just um, maybe any like formative memories or, or general thoughts. Yeah, interesting. I think coming to New York, I moved around a lot. Like I lived in DR, I lived in New York. I went to boarding school, college in LA back in New York again, about to move to London next year. Like, so, I, but I, every time people ask me where I'm from, 
which I feel like because of all the experiences I had, I can say a lot of different places. Me particularly, my family didn't have the same life experiences I did because I moved around way more on my own. Like once my family got to New York, they stayed in New York. Like I kept going. So I feel like New York has had such a big impact on me because I realized my personality, my ways of being, and the way I think about the world is a very New York mentality, like more so than like any of the other places I lived in. I think other places I've lived in has like allowed me to tap into certain parts of myself that are always there, but the speed at which I move, like the way I, my work ethic, um, what I'm like, the fact that I'm like not phased by a lot of things were surprised <laughs> or even um, the fact that I'm like, I'm not scared to like say like, no, I don't want to do something or do something or, or the fact that like I, my word is bond. Like, I'm not going to say I'm going to do something and not do it. Like, so I think like being in New York made me be that way, especially because I was around so many kids who were like that already. Like, I think if I'm like 11 coming from DR, and I had lived in America before, but not New York. Like mm -hmm. I lived like two years in Jersey, but cause I was born there, but coming to New York, I'm like, whoa, like this is how people talk. This is how they think. This is how they dress. This is how they act. Um, this is how they move. And seeing that all the time in middle school, which is like such a formative time. I'm like, this made so much sense to me. Like it, I was like, I resonate with this way of being more than any of the other places I've been in. And the other parts about New York that like are not like 100% a right fit for me, but just my overall sense of self is very connected to New York. And New York's a place where like you're constantly interacting with different people all the time. And that's something that I love. Like I am a very extroverted person. I have a big family. I like meeting people. Like I like living with people. So yeah, I, I think New York has definitely had an impact on like the way I move around in the world and think. Yeah, do you remember like when you were moving, were you excited to move or did you not want to come? I think like, I feel like at the time because a lot of decisions were made by the adults from us after our mom died. Um, Cause I grew up with my cousins too and their mom died actually. My aunt died a year before my mom. So it was so much change that was happening. Wow. And I don't really remember, wow. I remember more so my first year in New York, like how different it was from any, from the way I lived my life ever. Like I've never lived like this. Like my first year here was so different. And I don't remember, um, I remember knowing we were gonna come and I remember knowing, wow, it's not gonna be like when you lived in Jersey for a year like for a couple of years, it's going to be very different. You're going to a major city. And I had come to New York as a kid. My aunt was, from the, like, was living in the Bronx. So I always visited, but to live was so different. And I remember just going from, because not only did I have like a lot of cultural differences, my family had a lot of like financial differences. Like when I lived in DR, my family like, was like an upper middle-class family mm -hmm. where like we had like someone who like, took care of us all the time and like cooked for us and cleaned for us. And my mom was like an architect and my grandpa was like the head of like the job that he was doing. My grandma was an entrepreneur and like we were in private school and all of this, which is a very particular experience of DR. And I also lived in like a part of DR that's more low key than like the capital. I live in Bani. So when I moved here, it went from like a big house and like um, just you know, like having people take care of me and kind of be in this bubble and be protected in some ways and have everything I need to like 11 people in a two bedroom in my aunt's apartment, like across the bridge from Dykeman. Like, it's like, it was like, it went from like all of that to like me getting my hair done in ribbons every day to like, there's three queen beds in a room and nine people sleeping on it. Like, and I feel like that kind of shift made me be adaptable in certain situations and I feel like New Yorkers have that it's like you're just gonna have to do what you have to do and I remember the difference and I, I didn't realize like the effect it had on me because I don't think I was that attached to like having everything be given to me a certain way <laughs> I was little um but I just remember like wow like our destinies are so intertwined like all of us have lost like 
I lost my mom, my cousins lost their mom, my grandma lost her daughter, my uncle lost his wife and his sister. So like it became a thing where like everybody kind of came together because we lost people and our whole way of interacting with each other changed. Like we're all together. Like it's not like you don't visit me every couple months. No, like we all are in the same space. And that was like, I guess the biggest difference. It wasn't like you were the cousin I didn't really know of and I played with you every few months. It was like, we're literally siblings now. And we're all in New York together and none of us have ever been here before. <laughs> so what is life gonna be like now? And it became more of an open, like extroverted life than like more of like a secluded, like, oh, we're like in private school and we're in the yard and then we go to these places with my grandparents. like. It was like so much more open. I, even though it was more crowded, it felt more open. I, I often try to think about like my childhood growing up in New York too in relationship to space, like di- like home space, domestic space and how, I like how you put how, you know, you just learned how to become like so adaptable because I, I yeah, I grew, I grew up in like a studio apartment with like four people, four people mm-hmm. as well. Um, and just trying to, to, to navigate, you know, like coming of age, oh um privacy what does that mean how do you re- and, and you know re- how you relate to your family in terms of like how much how much you know and <laughs> maybe right. you know how much you you don't want to know um so yeah New York definitely kind of layers on the experiences with grit and having to just like make the most out of a situation because yeah mm-hmm. most people a lot of people are kind of like living their lives outside the home um, in a lot of ways too. So, yeah. um, we're always I mean, outside. Exactly. <laughs> so just like a place to sleep. Um, but yeah, this idea of home seems to be something that, you know, you're ruminating on thinking about producing, producing a lot of, uh, of work about, um, and it was beautiful to hear too, about this kind of intergenerational, almost like spiritual kind of like conjuring connection that you're drawing with, you know, perhaps not just like even like physical home but like how we find homes and people and Mm -hmm. and memories um and the practices that um yeah that all entails I mean just kind of learning a bit about about your work and and who you are in preparation for you know our chat Mm -hmm. um just thinking about like your your spiritual practice as well um, as being something that seems to be very important to your framework as an artist and and some of the work that you produce. And it'd be really cool to hear a bit more about, you know, what that, you know, entails for you in terms of re- religion or spiritual practice and and your work as um, as an artist. Yeah, um, so I'm a Nifa practitioner, which is an Orisha-based tradition. And it kind of operates a little differently than Santeria and Candomblé because a big aspect of, I, I tend to see that in Candomblé and in Santeria, people lead with Orisha a lot. Like the Orisha are always mentioned. In the Ifa tradition, um, the Orisha support your destiny. Um, they're like an aspect of many spiritual entities that can um, aid you in your practice. You know, they're, they're, they're like part of your support group, they're, but they're not, the main one, um, and I notice sometimes when I hear people talk about the other two traditions, um, I just hear Odisha more, and that doesn't mean that there aren't other entities, but that's what I hear more. Um, so in the Ifa tradition, it's all about like honoring your ancestors, honoring your Ori, which is your consciousness and your head, and fulfilling your destiny. And the the concept of destiny for us is not like I guess like these colonial ideas of like, it is my destiny to conquer or to do something, which I don't like. <laughs> like, you know, the whole manifest destiny thing, like we is in our right to do this, but, or like birthright to do anything. The concept of destiny in Ifa is you come with a certain energy into this realm and it's in your destiny to manifest it in whatever way possible. For example, someone's destiny in Ifa might be you are destined to be a leader. That doesn't mean th- th- there's no specifics as to like you're gonna rule these people on this day. Like it's more so like you you have this energy that you're coming to terms with, and a lot of it has 
tapping into it and throughout the tradition has a lot to do with self-actualizing and knowing who you are, honoring those who can support it and living to your best potential. So for me, because I practice Ifa and like, that's something I do and I think about it and a lot of the, the spiritual and, and ritualistic work that's done in it is just getting you closer to why you even came into this realm and like, what was your purpose? So for me, the way I kind of navigate that, I feel like a lot of freedom because A, I get kind of like a roadmap to this is the energy you come with and this is the power that you have. And I have freedom because I'm like, as long as I stay in that lane, I'm going to feel happy and fulfill the things that I want to fulfill. So for example, I know that a big part of like my destiny is to literally like find joy, like live like, and some people in Ifa, like I would literally say like, you came in this realm to find joy. Like that is your mission to just be a joyful person. And I know that like I, a part of aspect of my reason for being here is happiness. So that means that, oh, wow, now I get to explore what brings me joy. And for me, I do that in a lot of ways. Like my art practice brings me joy. The topics that I'm choosing to paint can bring people joy. Um, the conversations I'm having, the things I'm doing. And then in that way, I feel like I'm fulfilling this energy of like, you're here to find happiness. But also like I get to like have the freedom to explore whatever that means. And then good things happen because when you're in alignment, like, you know, you get a lot of things. <laughs> so I realized that because my spiritual practice has a lot to do with like finding this sense of self and purpose and acting in it. Um, I see how that manifests in my painting practice because the whole journey of self-actualizing for me is having breakthrough, coming to realizations, thinking about the past, thinking about the future, thinking about the present, thinking about my ancestors, thinking about nature, thinking about the world, thinking about how other people's destinies interact with mine. And then that leads to like, oh, I wanna paint about similar things. Like I wanna paint and make artwork around self-actualizing. And I wanna use the Orisha to like influence that, or I wanna use my dreams to influence that. I want to use different methods of knowing the self to influence that. So they all kind of start overlapping. I, I find that like being an artist helps me fulfill my purpose. Not because I don't think my artistry is the purpose, like your destiny is to be a painter or whatever, but because I have my own reason for being here and art allows me to tap into it. So it's kind of like the other way around. It's like, Art helps me tap into destiny, not I'm an artist because it's my destiny to be one. Um, I don't know if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, it definitely does. I feel like you, I've never actually heard you articulate this exact position like on your, on your spirituality, even though we've talked about it significantly. But I feel like you've kind of actually elucidated why I like your work so much, <laughs> which I think is because it feels like it has this contained purpose in itself that mm -hmm. isn't necessarily like reliant on like external systems. And maybe that's because it is part of this, it, it is part of this like energy fulfillment that is so specific to you that it doesn't really actually need anything else. But I, yeah. feel, like, I feel like that really makes sense knowing your work a little bit, like how you described it so beautifully. Thank you. Um, yeah, and and actually on that on that note, I would I would love to hear more as well about like everyone has their own, I guess, practice, uh, creative practice. Like Marcel and I are writers, so mm -hmm. our our practice is more about words, slightly less visual. Although I mean, all these things can be interchangeable. But I think that's something that we all are are trying to figure out, and occasionally at times struggling with as well is. Um, how to find kind of like routine and ritual and to like produce alignment in yourself so that you can do the work that makes you feel good. Mm. Um, and this is something that I've been trying to figure out for like, I'm like, how old am I? Like close to 20 years, I feel like at this point. Um, but I'm wondering like, what kind of rituals do you have in place that you feel like really work for you? Or like, what kind of conditions do you think bring out your best creative self? 
Mm, that's a good question. I'm trying to think ritual aspect. Or even just like habits, because I feel like habits are rituals. Mm-hmm. It's interesting because I think like, I wish I was more disciplined in this, but a lot of the work for me, like I like this idea of images just coming to me. Like I think because when I was younger, I would dream things and then they would happen like weeks later. I was used to like, oh, knowledge is gonna come to me. Like knowledge and light is gonna come to me and then I have to do something with the idea. So for me, I have like a lot of meaningful um, experiences. Like I actively try to, and I feel like that is what makes my best work. And a lot of times it's just looking at something over and over and over again. I remember um, or hearing a story and then like seeing what images come out of it. Like, cause sometimes I write poetry and I realize that the poems that I write are just me describing an image. So it's like the inverse of me drawing <laughs> or painting. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I know that like, I tend to like, just be with family, be with friends. I don't, I, a lot of the people I hang out with, it ranges, like I don't only hang out with artists or like creatively inclined people, I guess. Um, I mean, creatively thinking, yeah, but manifesting different. Um, where like, I literally try, I know it's like basic, but it's like just living life. Like I think a lot of artists go into the studio and they just like paint every day and the majority of their moments are in the studio. And for me, I'm not experiencing anything. I'm just in an echo chamber with the images in my mind and I'm putting them on a canvas if I were to do that all the time. Like, that's not a conversation. That's me telling something to the canvas. Whereas if I'm like with friends at an event, at a party with family, watching a movie, hearing something, dreaming, like, et cetera, now it becomes a conversation because I'm pulling from the dream and I'm putting it on a canvas or I'm pulling from an emotion and I'm pulling it there and then I'm seeing people and I'm hearing things. So for me, like I noticed that my process is more like one that feels like breakthrough. Like I take in a lot of information all the time. So when I'm still and then it's just kind of like this just came to me, kind of like a dream just comes to you. I'll have like a daydream of an image just come to me. And I'm like, oh, that that's there's something here. I need to explore it. Um, with ritual, like yeah, like routine, I like to go, I like that I have more time now because I'll go to the studio more and I, I'll get to draw and contemplate. Um, I was at the Tate uh, Modern two days ago. Yeah. And I was just like so inspired. Um, by like the work that I was seeing, especially, and in museums, every time I go to like MoCA or like the Tate or all these museums, I love like going through this period of painting in the thirties and forties, because I feel like there was so much surrealism happening in a meaningful way there. It was like, it showed us how dystopian society is and how some of the things in our realm of existence are not like to the betterment of the ecosystem that we're in. So it felt very like dreamlike, but it also felt very real. And I liked how it was like grounded us in reality, but helped us imagine. So when I see things like that, I'm like, I get inspired and I get hype and I'm like, yo, like how can I make my work feel this way? Or how can I put, how can I make my work be aesthetically pleasing? Which I think it, it draws people in, but also feels like there's emotions layering it. It's not just like a pretty thing to look at. And I think now that I'm like, have more free time because I was traveling a lot in the last few months, um, I'm excited to just be in the studio and just sit there for hours and like play music or listen to things and see what comes up, like what breakthrough starts happening in my brain when I'm just like taking in information. I think it's also, I mean, hearing this dynamic that you talk about, about how you like nurture your practice and yourself, like this dynamic between being with yourself in the studio and also like building community and creating community. Um, It seems like with some of the initiatives that you're involved with and leading like Honey and Smoke and also with um, Zeal, you definitely are kind of mobilized or bringing people, bringing people together. And I, I, I was wondering if you could talk about, talk about more about how creating community, I guess, is related to, you know, your work as a, as an emerging artist because I can understand mm-hmm. I could imagine and you know also I've just you know heard that you know there's competitiveness there's 
mm-hmm. I guess all these, all these systems kind of pitting, I can imagine pitting people against one another. So yeah, I would love to hear more about the role of creating community in your, in your work and your career and yeah. And talk more about those initiatives you have going on. Yeah. So it's funny. Cause we recently kind of talked about this at a honey and smoke workshop. Cause we did one last Wednesday and the theme was home as like earth as home home as an environment that you're in like a natural ecosystem and um we were asking each other there's three questions it was like what are your natural ecosystems what environments do you thrive in and what are the pollutants to your current ecosystem so a lot of like um environmental language but it could have been like a conceptual answer so you know, some people can say like my natural ecosystem. Some artists can say like, I like to be in a city or I like to be in um, the woods or I like to be in the desert, et cetera. And I'll feel like creatively um, fulfilled and I can get work done in a collect drive in those environments. For me, and this is the reason why I'm so involved in like creating the worlds that I want to exist in as an artist, it's because my natural ecosystem it's not a place, but it's a feeling. It's an emotion that I need to feel, to feel like this is the one that I thrive in and this is the one that I wanna be in because it comes natural to me. And for me, my natural ecosystem that I wanna exist in, and I feel like I have been existing in since I was a kid because my ancestors are strong. Like it's one of protection. Like I need to feel protected to thrive. And I think that like, as people of color, it's hard to feel free if you don't feel protected, because if you don't feel protected, you exercising freedom can be a danger to your body. So something that I, I talk about is like, or think about is like, I, if I'm in an environment that I feel protected in, I can explore. And if I can, it's some very Capricorn answer it's comfort and like just, you know, resources. And if I can um, explore, then I can I can create and if I can create, I can like actualize. So for me, I love that like that feeling and I've been blessed by it. And I want people in my communities to feel the same feeling. And so that means like, how do we design systems for artists to thrive, which is and like infrastructure, which is what Zeals does, like black artists. But then Honey and Smoke is like, how can we hold space for artists to think freely and not be jaded by the art infrastructure or social makeup that like affects everybody. And that's where that other question came into play that Reva asked, which is like, and she got this from um, reading Women Who Runs With The Wolves. Cause it was like a whole um, chapter on like creative space um, and exploration and like just the environment. And the question Reva posed was what are the pollutants to your current ecosystem? So then that's when we were like, okay, like there's some discomfort we feel at, as artists. And it's kind of like if you're in a, in, a, in, a, um, in a river, which was said in the book, um, and the river's clean and you're thriving and you could drink out of it, you could swim out of it, you're, you're good. And the river's like your creative ecosystem, the space that you're in, the community that you have. But then the river can have like plastic in it, garbage, just polluting it. So you're not swimming through it freely. And we talked about like, as an artist, what is polluting your current creative ecosystem? And that's when we get into scarcity mentality, um, not trusting each other, um, not having enough resources, um, you know, like feeling dismissed by your community, not feeling like you have the room to do something because it's small. So I feel like knowing that, that that's a possibility and it's very real and a lot of people deal with that all the time. I kind of, work with the team to say like how are we trying to filter out these pollutants so we could all feel safe and so we could all thrive and we could feel protected and we can explore I think that's because I've benefited from doing that within myself whether that's setting boundaries or only hanging out with certain people or only like working with certain people how can me and a group who benefited from doing that on our own bring that to other artists so we could all like benefit so it's not like one person one, but it's like a mutually beneficial experience. Yeah, I'm, I'm just thinking about um, <laughs> how just being intentional about creating community in the vision of like the world that you want to create, um, especially I, I, I can imagine in like 
in the art world to kind of the pollutants that you were bringing up. Um, I can relate as someone who's like in academia, in academia mm-hmm. um, a lot of the similar kind of, yeah, capitalist scarcity mindset, you know, how does, what, how can one be creative and also learn from other people if there's this paranoia about, yeah, um, just like un, un, uh, I don't even have the language for it, but um, yeah, just unbecoming context that I think it's just really um, fantastic that you and your um, co-collaborator, what's up, can you, can you just talk a bit more about, I guess, like how Honey and Smoke started and maybe even about this co-collaborator? I, I don't have her name here, but Mariva. can you talk a bit more? Mariva, yeah, can you talk more yeah. about how that, how your relationship with her and, and how this um, um, group came about? Yeah, so Honey and Smoke was originally Riva's um, photo, like travel blog. So it was like a space for her to, you know, like travel, express herself, um, document what she was experiencing as an artist in different places. And then, but she always knew that because she's similar to me, like from LA, went to school in New York. I'm from New York, went to school in LA, like traveled in between, like have family in different countries, et cetera. She wanted to feel like there was a community space for artists to get together, kind of reject what the art world tells you we're supposed to be like, but also like feel safe and to incubate artists on like what's happening in the world and to make meaningful, meaningful, intentional work. So she knew that those were the the, like makings of it. Um, And she knew she wanted to make it like a bigger thing than like her travel blog, but she had all these ideas conceptualized as like, I want to incubate artists. I want us to feel like we're in a community, no matter where we are in the world, et cetera. But the structure of it now, it was very much a collaborative project. So like she knew she wanted to like make it bigger and she had all these ideas and she knew she wanted to incubate artists after, um, Hey, we did a, a show together on home where she had a short film and I like, did like the set design for it and I made the paintings and then a year or two after that was like her thesis project where like she showcased the movie again held it was like had space for artists to take a workshop and like dive deep into the theme and also it was like an open mic so people exhibited things etc so after that she's like I like this I like that I got artists to come together we all thought about the same things we all talked about the theme and a deeper level I kind of want to make this like a social practice and a business of some way, but she didn't know how the structure of that was going to look. So she like contacted me because we've been friends for a while. She's um, actually my partner's sister. So I already had known who she was. And she was like, I want to work with you on this because I feel like you think similar and you express similar and like just the way I move, like she was just in alignment with. So that's when we came together and we came up with the themes and like, the seasonal structure where every three to four months we pick a theme, an important theme of our time, and we explore it with artists through workshops, digital content, um, interactive experiences, etc. So every three to four months, at, so far at Honey and Smoke, we pick a theme. We even our designers, so we have a whole new brand identity. So every season, there's new fonts, new colors, new content. And we just like spend the time really diving into the concepts and the layers of whatever we're exploring. So right now it's home and we tend to like write down, like once we have a season um, and a topic picked and we picked home because a lot of people are thinking about home and we were all home for like the last couple of years because of COVID and some people are displaced. And, and then we also the earth is home and like how the climate is changing. So we're like, there's so much we can unpack here. So that's kind of where we're at at this moment with that. Um, And we also added um, last season, like a structure, which is like an intensive artist cohort. So we and I lead workshops and facilitate conversations around whatever theme we're exploring on a deeper level. So the last call that we did with the artists on Wednesday it was like home, but it was like the earth has home and the environment. And that's when we talked about like your natural ecosystems, like what are your pollutants? How can we be intentional about the work we make, whether it's materials or like this concept? Um, how can we push the bounds of understanding of home? Um, and that's kind of how the structure works. So that's kind of how we got together. Um, 
it was like an idea and and like a place to hold artists together and now it's like a proper like specific structure where um every three or four months we pick a season we go in on it and it looks different every time but we'll explore it creatively conceptually intellectually etc it's really fun you get really inspired and and you get to bring artists together on a, like a deeper conceptual level. It's not like, it's not like, oh, let's just all like teach y'all how to make work. It's like, no, let's teach y'all how to think about work on a deeper level. So when you do make it, it's impactful because it's reacting to what's happening in the world right now. And people can connect from it in all other places. Our cohorts usually have artists from different locations. Like I think on Wednesday, we told everybody to like put where they were at and Somebody was in Louisiana, Boston, LA, London, New York, like Ghana. We were all in different places talking about the same thing. That's really cool because I think it relates as well to what you were saying earlier about your process that like you that you get inspiration from, you know, living life, which which I think like it's a simple statement, but it but there's so there's so many things that, you know, go on within that. And I think that having these kinds of conversations with peers, like that's definitely one of my favorite things to do, even though, you know, I'm, I'm looking always for outlets. And I think that this podcast is, is one of them for Marcel and I, but having these kinds of conversations definitely like gives me ideas about my work or just like gives me different types of language for thinking about how I want to live life. Like I really like the, Mm -hmm. um, I really like the metaphor of the stream and like what are the pollutants in your ecosystem? And I think that's something that like I struggle with, which I'm, I mean, we're both sort of part of the art world in our, in our own ways is just being part of industries that aren't structured or like don't function in ways that are, that are in my mind, like optimal to what I would want, but Mm -hmm. still trying to do my work my way within that anyway. So it's like, there's a certain level of resistance, you know, when you're working within a system that, doesn't necessarily fully support or like um or isn't totally aligned with with your intentions and I think Marcel you know probably feels the same about academia but Mm -hmm. but I think like you clearly have a lot of integrity and dedication to doing things your way which I think is really amazing and one of potentially our last question unless Marcel you have any others but I think like like maybe a nice way to wrap would be to think about like when you make your work is it for anyone in particular? Like, do you feel like it's for you? Are there people who, who you think about often while you're making things? Or is there like an imagined audience that you hope will, will, will perceive your work or feel that kind of like the joyful feeling that you were describing either in the present or in the future? Mm. It's interesting because I actually was thinking about the answers to this question um, like the last, a couple of weeks ago. And um, because every time we do like um, honey and smoke workshops, the first workshop, we always ask people, why do they create? And um, I obviously answer, I answer the question too. I don't just like facilitate and like remove myself from it. And I actually wrote down an answer for that. But I said, I create in order to understand myself and the world around me. I create in order to reimagine the ecosystems I inhabit and find ways to self-actualize. I create for those who are looking to see beyond the surface and dive into the depths of their spirit. That's beautiful. Yeah, it's not really like particularly aimed at anybody, but I know that um, at least in like just visual culture and like art history, images matter and they are like so many symbolism connected to them. And like, even through colonialism, there's so many symbols that are connected to that. That for me, I think that when marginalized people were like colonized, um, I feel like the uh, the other side, like whoever was colonizing, didn't see beyond the surface of what they were dealing with. They just like othered folks. So for me, I'm like, if you want to see beyond what's there, my work is for you because not, and I think when people see it, it happens where I have certain imagery that's very straightforward, but 
people feel things, you know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. I could paint a hand with rings and it's not just like, I just saw a, a picture of a hand with rings. Like, you know what I mean? It's like the way I did it, you know, and the feeling that's connected to it. You have to really look beyond the surface to understand it. And that's who I create for, because if you're here to look at my work just because it's pretty or whatever, you're not gonna get much out of it if you're choosing not to see more beyond it. And I think a lot of artists have that. Like a lot of artists are like, I'm making work and it's deeper than that. But I'm like, no, I want to create works for those who are doing that consistently, not just with art. Like, I want you to look beyond the surface when you like walk down the street and you pass a bodega and you send something, but you're not even looking at it. You know, like, I create for those who like do that all the time, not when it, it's asked of them to. It's like when you're just constantly just being like, there's more than meets the eye or always. Yeah, it's kind of like a way of living, actually, I feel like. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, like a way you have of to living. live like that. To, to understand me and my work, you have to live like that. Like, yeah, I can, de I definitely, I can definitely see that. That's a really, that's a, like a lovely way of putting it. And also to have that every season, having that question, because you said you asked this question of why do you create at all at each workshop? At the first season? workshop of every season, yeah. Every time we that have- That must be artists. cool to we like be able to reflect yeah. on that. We do it a lot. Every time Honey and Smoke does a workshop, that's one of the self-assessment questions in the beginning. It's always like, why do you do this? Yeah, I've been exploring that a lot recently, taking walks and like recording. Like <laughs> I was telling Isabel, like just voice notes, like why is what I'm writing about or what I'm thinking about, like just kind of coming back to that like grounding place. Cause I feel like I can too get like lost in, I don't know, chasing certain things or procedure, this and that. It's like, okay, but like the, so what is the, so what behind like what you're doing? Like, what is, what is the actual core? It's a kernel mm -hmm. of the meaning and Having that, I think, yeah, it's, it's something that I'm going to actually, like, now hearing that you're doing this in a seasonal fashion, I'm like, shit, I should do that. Um, so that was very, that was yeah, We that invite was all folks to do it. Like, something that we like to do with Honey and Smoke is, like, yes, are, like, are, like, um, the audience that we protect and care for, like, on a deeper spiritual level are artists, but we know that, like, we're not showing people how to be artists. We're like facilitating how to think critically in a creative way. And I feel like so many people can benefit from that no matter what they do. Cause the way our workshops are set up, like, yes, they're like art in mind. Like we think about artists when we do that, when we design them, but thinking about what we actually facilitate and do, anybody can do it. Like anybody can benefit from like, Let's sit and think deeply about the things that are happening, but let's show y'all how to do it in a creative way so you're not bound to the limits of your mind on how to think about certain things. So it, it's really fun. Like, I, I really enjoy it. It's, I'm an Aquarius moon and Reva's a Gemini moon. So we're just all for like going beyond and like thinking critically and idealizing what things can be like <laughs> and like justice and communication. <laughs> Well, you should um, definitely keep us posted on um, when your next session is, because I've been meaning to, like, tune into a Honey and Smoke something for so long, and, like, mm -hmm. various work things have gotten in the way, but I feel, after this conversation, especially connected to wanting to do that, but this is actually oh, a great We got something thing. for you, girl. We have yeah. a, um, in January, we're doing a, an artist talk that's part of our cohort series but it's a public one and we're doing a, a panel like not a panel like a, a conversation between Riva I and Dr. Kyle Mays and Kyle is releasing a nonfiction book on Tuesday November 16th called an Afro-Indigenous History of the United States um, and every season we have a book club but this season we chose a nonfiction book because we wanted the book to kind of answer or deal with the, the subtitle or like sub, not title, subtext of home, which is like belonging and whose home it is. And like, what does home mean when you're like, when people have colonized your home or brought you to another home? 
So we decided to be like, okay, like the book we pick is going to be connected to belonging and this aspect of like indigeneity and, and land. And so like, we got like early copies of the book, which was like amazing. Um, and the, the artists in the cohort are reading the book and Kyle's going to come and we're going to like interview him, but we're going to interview him within the context of home and the themes as opposed to like, how did you write the book? Like, you know how like some book talks can yeah. be like, right. it's like he's doing what we do with the cohort on a public setting. Like we'll be asking him the questions the way we ask the artists to think critically or the participants, but it's going to be a public event. So it'll be fun. And also honey and smoke. We're going to start advertising the book more. Um, Cause if people get it through us, you get a 30% discount on the, the book, but it's called an Afro indigenous history of the United States by Dr. Oh. Kyle Mays. I'm so excited. Like I was reading like, it's really good. Like, like I, Raul Peck, Lerota, um, like have something to say about it. And you know, in the beginning they have quotes. It was like Raul Peck, Robin D.G. Kelly, like wow. so many people. And like, he's, yeah, like it's like so many good people. And um, I'm hyped that we didn't do that. But I was thinking of you when you said, hey, you guys do more. And I'm like, we're literally doing something like this in the context of literature. So yeah, I'll let you know the specific day when it's, but it should be like the second week of January second or third but also for for any listeners who are who are going to want to keep up with you where can they find or follow you honey and smoke etc i guess like on my instagram because i have so many like i always post like my bio literally has honey and smoke and zeal on it and then that's like kind of like you can see everything so you could go to um at eileen e-i-l-e-n dot itzel i-t-z-e-l dot mena m-e-n-a at gmail i mean not at gmail <laughs> at instagram that's my instagram that's not my email um, definitely not my email like, don't email me <laughs> yeah it's either eileen itzel mena on instagram or my website eileen so um but everything should be on it and i have like my work on my website and there's a community tab um but also, like, if you go to my Instagram, you'll get to see, see the zeal and honey and smoke stuff. Well, thank you so much for today. This, And especially considering that you just traveled and you made time for this. We, we really appreciate it. This was a really beautiful conversation that I feel like will have something for a lot of different people, even, you know, if you're not an artist or, or whatnot, just kind of like um, truths about living. So thank you. Thank you so much. It was lovely getting to chat with you. So hope to be in touch. And yeah, everyone who's listening, check out Eileen's work, although we're definitely going to link to it um, when we post the episode. So until next time. Yeah, thanks again. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And I know we did this well because we ended at 111. So nice (laughs) trying to keep it um concise um amazing have a great rest of your day you too yeah All thank right. you so talk much talk to you soon oh everyone hi for you too the love in your heart is a violent for me do you see me in my pants and ting see me in my altar back see me give you a tattoo